And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. Now, if any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're going to love his show, How to Write and Deliver Captivating Speeches, How to Market Yourself into a New Job, how design can help and potentially hurt your revenue, and how to create a social media ad strategy that works. If these topics hit home and they're things that you want to learn about, go listen to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Saul Blinkoff. Now, Saul began his career as an animator for the Walt Disney Studios working on the hit films Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, and Tarzan. He made his directorial debut with the hip action-adventure series Spy Groove for MTV. Shortly thereafter, he rejoined Disney, directing the films Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Rue, and Kronk's New Groove. Saul also consulted on the Disney films Tinkerbell, Fox and the Hound 2, Brother Bear 2, Cinderella 3, and Dumbo 2. Saul has also directed high-profile national commercials for clients such as Best Buy, Dunkin' Donuts, ESPN, Subway, Mercedes-Benz, and EA Sports, and has consulted for animation studios internationally in Tel Aviv, Toronto, Seoul, Dublin, and Vancouver. Saul was a director on the hit Disney show Doc McStuffins and most recently directed The Numberlies, a preschool show for Amazon. Now, we spoke about how to overcome rejection, lessons learned from Michael Jordan, the power of repetition, the true meaning of responsibility, success as a failure, uh, finding comfort in the uncomfortable, the preference of pain in the moment to the pain of regret, uh, luck versus talent in a highly competitive industry, where to put energy that has the highest probability of success and balancing religion, work, and life. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's incredible uh, to be here. Um, Look, my story starts out in New York. I grew up in New York. Um, I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I didn't know any Hollywood filmmakers. Uh, I was a kid that loved to draw. I used to draw on everything, actually. I used to draw on the walls with my mother's lipstick. And when I ran out of wall space, I would draw on my sister's forehead. <laughs> I did that with a Sharpie marker because it lasted the longest. Parents must have loved you. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> look, the greatest gallery your art could ever be in is on your mom's refrigerator, right? So I said to my mom, you should put my sister on the fridge with the rest of my artwork. My sister didn't like that idea. But look, I knew I wanted to be an artist until I was 11 years old. I'm 11 years old. I go to the movies and I watch the movie E.T., I'm watching that movie. The credits are rolling. I remember tapping my mom, and I'm like, Mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, what, you, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? 
I'm like, no, mom, I want to make movies. And like I said, Scott, I grew up in New York. I didn't know any filmmakers. I didn't even know that was a job you could have. People I knew were doctors, lawyers. They owned businesses, teachers. All I knew is when I looked up to the screen, I was like, that's all I want to do is something creative. So I went to the library. I got books on lenses, cameras, storyboarding. I found out the director of E.T. was Steven Spielberg, and every weekend he would make movies. So I went and got a film camera. I got my twin sister, my older brother, and we started making movies, murder movies, monster movies. I made a, a kidnap movie, tied my sister up to a tree really tight. Still parents are loving you. Oh, yeah. I, well, I still remember going to the house to watch the movie. Afterwards, my mom's like, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I said, well, she's still tied to the tree. What's wrong? So, look, I knew I was going to be a filmmaker until I got to high school. And when I was in high school, I'm walking down the halls one day, 10th grade. Somebody comes up to me and says, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, I want to be a filmmaker. They said, no, you don't. I said, no, I really do. They said, no, you don't, because if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos. <laughs> they looked at me and said, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? And I said, no, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And I'm telling you, right then and there, I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a filmmaker because one person told me I would end up a weirdo. And of course, today I do live in Hollywood and my four kids would tell you, daddy is a weirdo, so so much for that. But at that point in my life, I was very impressionable. And I think it's important for all of us to take a moment and realize so often in our lives, we have a goal or a dream and we allow another person to say something to derail us from the course that we really wanna take. Well, so I gave up on that. My parents said, so what else are you going to do? I go, well, I'll go back to drawing. I have incredibly supportive parents. My mom and dad hire an art teacher to come to my home, private teacher, to teach me to draw from life. She was an amazing teacher. She said to me, Saul, drawing is about seeing. You have to develop your eye how to look at the world a certain way. You know, a lot of people say, oh, they drew that. It was so good. It looked like a photo. And they painted that. It looked like a photo. Why spend 100 hours painting something that looks like a photo when you could have hit a button and made the same image? You just wasted 40 hours of your life. It's not our job to make things look real. It's to take what we see, interpret it through our own mind, and give a viewpoint on what's real. Incredible teacher I had. I was also terrible at drawing hands. Hands are very difficult for any artist listening. And my teacher said, oh, you're bad at drawing hands? Take your hand, put it in a different pose every single night before you go to bed and draw it. And in six months, you'll get better at drawing hands. She was an amazing teacher. She taught me an incredible, incredible tool for life. We need to get out of our comfort zones and have the goal to turn our weakness into our strength. Can I ask you something yeah, on that please. story? Yeah. So when you were... When you were shut down by that person and you basically pushed the dreams of going into film aside, how did you switch your mindset up? Because then you adopted the same, same but different. You're still right. you're still going into an industry that is primarily based in in Hollywood and animation and film. Right. But still, you obviously did a 180 from your where your head was at when that person shut you down, and then you kept pursuing just something different. Yeah. But you you got over that at some point. Yeah, I mean, I got over that definitely. I, I guess it was about it was about the location. You know, growing up in New York, I didn't know anyone that ever moved out to California. People I knew lived in what we call the tri-state area: New York, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I didn't know anyone that lived anywhere else. And if you were lucky on vacations, you would go to Florida. That's it. I never knew anyone that went anywhere else. So when I heard that Hollywood was L.A. and it was strange weirdos, I just thought culturally, how am I going to fit in there? That's not for people like me. People I know stay on the East Coast. We don't go to the West Coast. 
so I thought, you know, if I'm going to go back to being an artist, I'll just be an artist, but on the East Coast. Um, that's kind of how it went for a while with my drawing and that art teacher until I went to the movies again and saw another movie that changed my life. I saw the movie, The Little Mermaid. You know that movie, right? That right. Movie. So I'm watching that movie. And I remember watching that film and I'm like, mom, the credits are rolling. I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do. And she's like, what, you want to fall in love with a fish? <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom, I want to work at Disney as an animator because animation combines my two passions, my love of drawing, my love of filmmaking, put them together, animation. And plus I found out Disney has a studio in Orlando, Florida. I don't have to go out to LA. So there I was, a junior in high school, and I had a very specific goal. I knew what my dream was. I had clarity. My dream was to become a Disney animator. I just had one problem. I had no idea how to do it. You know, so often I'll meet people and I'll say, what's your goal in life? What do you want to achieve? And some people who are lucky enough to know, I'll then ask them, how are you going to achieve it? And sometimes I get a blank stare. They don't know. You know, we go to a great restaurant, taste an unbelievable dessert, creme brulee, tiramisu, whatever it is you like. You want to make it at home? You can do it if you have the recipe. See, I didn't have the recipe. I didn't know how to do it. Today, you want to be a Disney animator. It's really simple. You go to a thing called Google, and you type in, how do you become a Disney animator? And you'll get the answer. Back then, in the olden days, as my kids call it, the days before the internet, there was no Google. So I went to the library and found out all the information I could. There was nothing about how to get into Disney. So my mom, check this out, takes me, not my older brother, not my sister, takes me to Disney World just to walk around Disney World to ask Disney cast members, that's what they call their employees, how can my son become a Disney animator? And even now I hear that story in my head and I say it to you, I still can't believe that she did that. It was She's always been so supportive. And if any parents are listening, you know, we want our kids to thrive and to succeed. Are we really doing everything we can to help them get into a place where they can shine? She was amazing. And uh, so we're walking around Disney World. We're getting uh, on the It's a Small World boat ride. Which I love. Right? I, I love that. Yeah. I think it's shut down or they Is revamped it? it now. Yeah. But they that's revamp an, it like every four That's years. an original. That's an OG Disney ride. Actually, yeah. it's the first one ever. Uh, it was the first really? Disney ride ever created by Mary Blair, was the art director. Yeah. It was her style. She was the art director on Cinderella and all those old Disney movies. And it was created for the World's Fair, I think 1960-something wow. in New York. That was the first time that Disney created a ride. He's like, you know what? I'm going to bring that ride into Disneyland and that was his first ride it's a small world boom so your mom your mom just that so your mom immersed you in all of this and, oh yeah and then this is like you're lighting like a a, a fire in in you well, because well, right yeah well we have to find out how to get in right so yeah. we're getting on the it's a small world boat ride yeah. and the De Disney cast members like how many in your party were like two were stepping on the boat and my mom says to the woman, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help him? It was actually very embarrassing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> right, yeah, it was. So we're getting on, the, and the, the lady's like, ma'am, this is a boat ride. Like, we don't hire animators here. <laughs> so we go through the boat ride. We finish the boat ride. Um, the lady says, look, if you want your son to work at Disney, you got to go to the Disney casting building. That's where Disney hires all their employees. And it was four minutes away from where we were in Disney World. So we go to this building. Can you imagine what a Disney office building looks like? How creative, whimsical. The doorknobs look like the ones from Alice in Wonderland that talk, right? They were made out of brass. I open up these doors. I walk into this atrium. Gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goofy. Even the air was, was like Disney air, like pixie dust in the air, you know? It was amazing. I sit there for this interview. 
And the woman says, what would you like? I'm like, I want to be a Disney animator. How'd you get the interview? Because I just walked in. And they, and they were okay. It's like open call. Anybody can go in there and interview for any job at Disney World. Wow. Well, that's what I found out, is that it's only jobs for people that want to work in Disney World. If you want to be an animator, an artist or something, that's, they don't, you, don't, you don't try that way. It's only for people that want to work the rides and mm -hmm. make the Dumbo ride go up and down and things like that. And I said, well, that's not really my goal. She goes, well, hold on a second. She walks out of the room, comes back in two minutes later, and hands me a piece of paper. It became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a list of eight schools, eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. She says, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. Boom, that was it. That was, that was the recipe. And in my head, I heard it as an equation. Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. So I went to one of these schools in Columbus, Ohio. It's the Columbus College of Art and Design. Incredible school. And I'm walking uh, the first day around, and I walk into, this, uh, into one of the rooms of one of the guys who wasn't even there. I, I actually walk down the hall, and I see in this guy's room, he's got Mickey Mouse slippers. And I'm like, what kind of guy wears Mickey Mouse slippers, you know? I don't, I'm not judging, Scott, if you have Mickey Mouse slippers. I, I do not, but prob <laughs> yeah. probably a kind of guy that right. you probably would want to work for right. because he thinks differently than everyone else. He's super creative, but that's who you're dealing with. That's right. Yeah. A unique individual, yeah. right? Well, in his room, not only did he have Mickey Mouse slippers, he had a Mickey Mouse lunchbox, a Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse telephone, He's Mickey into Mouse it. clock, <laughs> Mickey Mouse bedspread. It had every Disney movie poster on the wall. It was Disney World in a room. It was crazy. And then I see in the corner, he's got sketchbooks. He wasn't in the room. I'm like, let's see how good he is as an artist. Let me pick up a sketchbook. I start looking through it, and it's all these drawings of Mickey Mouse. This guy's like a Mickey Mouse fanatic. Then I see Mickey Mouse hands, like the four-finger white glove, you know? And I'm like, well, that's not the way I've been drawing hands, you know? And the guy's Mickey crazy. I turn to leave the room, and I bump into the guy whose room it is. Uh-oh, I'm busted. I look at him. I go, hey, man, I'm sorry. He looks at me and goes, huh? you doing <laughs> i said good what's your name he says my name's jason but people call me mickey mouse jason i'm like they call you what he goes mickey mouse i'm like i heard you you have a disney nickname he's like what you don't i'm like no i don't i go back to my dorm room i get on the phone with my mom and I'm like mom if i'm gonna fit in in art school i'm gonna need mickey mouse slippers i mean you have to remember scott this is before pixar before dreamworks if you wanted a job in disney animation if you wanted a job in animation at all it was disney and then one week later Disney representative comes from the Disney studios to our school. He stands up on the stage in the auditorium. The auditorium is filled with 750 students, every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And this guy from Disney was one of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty from the 50s. He used to hang out with Walt Disney. And he stands on the stage and looks out to all of us and he says, how many of you want to work at Disney? And every hand went up. He said, just so you know, out of the 750 of you in here, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And when he said that, I remember thinking one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. Because in life, we either believe in ourselves that we can accomplish something or we don't. And I don't mean what we talk about with our friends. And I don't mean what we post on Instagram or Facebook. I mean, deep down, do we really believe in ourselves that we can accomplish well, at that point in my life, I did. You knew. I did, yeah. I really believed in myself. People ask me a lot. They're like, how did you get that belief in yourself? I think you have to have, um, it's like, it's a little naive. I mean, you have, if a you little bit. You, yeah, you, you have, have to be. Right, you have to be a little bit, right? 
It's like Steve Jobs says, you have to be crazy. You have to be one of the crazy ones. To, 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 to be so do, yeah, right. set in what you're doing. I, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs. And, right. the, and the thing is, like, I went in. I didn't look back. It's like the, you know, burn, burn the ships, burn the bridge, whatever it is. Right. You aren't going back. And there's only one way forward. Right. But that's not a normal way to think. Right. Burn the bridge. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. heard that expression the other yeah. day, actually. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I'm, I'm committed to this. It's almost like you have to be a little bit of an idiot to, you know, because you'd be like, I'm just going all in for this. Um, you know, sometimes I have parents come up to me and they'll be like, well, my kid wants to go into art. So, but, you know, I'm sending them to this school. It does. It's not really an art school, but it has like a good liberal arts education. But that way they can have something to fall back on. You know what I say to the parents? And, and some people are going to hear me say this. are going to be like, that's a little harsh, but this is really how I feel. You just told your kid. I don't believe in you. Like, why not send them to a school that only focuses on one thing, art, like, and get the best education you can? Because if you go to a big liberal arts school and there's just a, a good art program, then you're not setting them up to be successful in the field that they want. Sometimes in life, we have to go all in. And we all know that for whatever we want to do in life, each one of us has a limited amount of energy. I don't care if how what kind of accomplisher you are. If your checklist is 5,000 things a day and you're able to do it all, you still have a limitation. But it's incredible what we can accomplish when we put all of our energy, every bit of it, into one goal. And we really focus it. It's incredible what we can do. Yeah. I don't think a lot of parents think like that. I don't think a lot of right. people think like that. But I think that people probably, right. kids that are trying to figure out their career or starting their thing, they probably don't, realize that that's how dedicated and how focused they have to be to make right. it you have to be maniacal about whatever it is you're getting into oh, yeah but i think that enabling people to think differently by giving backup options by that by that behavior it enables people to not be the best that they could be right absolutely you know look i'm a big michael jordan fan he's the goat he's the greatest of all time mm -hmm. don't tell me it's lebron Okay. <laughs> LeBron's good, but MJ's MJ. MJ's you know? MJ's MJ. MJ's the goat. Yeah. You know, I have, I have a son. He's 13. He goes to school, and, and sometimes he has to defend Michael Jordan to his friends because he, he grew up in my home, and I'm a Michael Jordan fanatic, right? So, but when he has to defend Michael Jordan to his friends who think it's LeBron, sometimes I think my son's actually defending his dad more than Michael Jordan, you know, which he should. I, I love that. So, look, Michael, you know, was so committed. To winning we think someone's in the nba oh they're already great and awesome but you hear those other players on the bulls talk about mj and they're like wow he was so focused he elevated me he made me he made me a better artist when michael lost a very pivotal game against the orlando magic i think it's right when he came back it was his first season back after baseball after he lost that playoff game to the magic the next day now they're on a break he calls up his trainer he goes i'll see you tomorrow at 7 a.m the trainer couldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, Michael got the entire team into the gym the next day. Why? Because we're not going to waste any time. When you really want to accomplish something, you're all in. And by the way, that first week in college, I remember I went to a party. And uh, I remember everyone was drinking at this party. And there was a, there was a girl funneling a beer you know, a funnel with a yeah. tube, right? Yeah, it's my, college. <laughs> it's college. If my kids are ever listening to this. Daddy never did this, just so you know. It doesn't happen anymore either, right? No, yeah. it doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> so I go to this party. This girl's drinking like four beers in eight seconds or something, right? And next to her is this guy with a sketchbook, and he's doing drawings of her funneling a beer. So I go over to this guy. I'm like, dude, what, what class is this drawing for? Like, why are you drawing her drinking beer? 
He says, I'm doing this drawing because I want to get better as an artist. And he never stopped drawing. His name was Andy. He was so focused. Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, when you're all in on something, that doesn't mean you go to art class and then you go have a college party, then you go do your homework, and then you go have a college party. It means if you want to be great at drawing, you bring your sketchbook everywhere you go. And this guy, his name was Andy, was by far the best artist in the school as a freshman because the guy never stopped drawing. And I'll tell you, Scott, he became my best friend. And I can tell you his work ethic, the way he approached the discipline of getting better as an artist, that became my work ethic. Because who we choose to be friends with actually affects who we become. The values of a person that I surround myself will become my values. You know, as parents, we always want our kids to hang out with the right kids because we know they're impressionable. But what about us? We're also impressionable. You know, I host a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Life of Awesome. And on my podcast, I had this guy, Tim Story. I don't know if you know him. I do know him. You know Tim, He's right? great, yeah. He's an incredible guy. He's the life coach to like Robert Downey Jr., Oprah Winfrey. I mean, the life coach of the stars. And I asked him the question. I said, Tim, what do you find is that one thing that separates people successful in the film world, in the Hollywood world, successful at life, not successful at winning Oscars? What makes them successful at life or not successful at life? He goes, it's one thing, dude. The green room. The green room. Who do they keep in their green room before they get called out to Jimmy Fallon mm -hmm. or whatever show that they're on? Who do they surround themselves with? Who's their entourage? Who are the people that are closest to them? Those are the people that you can tell, you know what, this person, they're grounded. They're going to stay humble. I'm not worried about them. We have to choose who we surround ourselves with so carefully. So Andy and I became best friends. And uh, sophomore year, I get my best drawings together, put them in a portfolio, send them into Disney, and I got a letter back from Disney on stationery. It had a gold leaf Mickey Mouse embossed on that envelope. My name was typed on the front. I remember being so excited that the Disney company knew I was alive. They had my name printed on an envelope, right? Uh, I open up the letter. It says, Saul, thanks for sending your portfolio in, but you didn't make it. All right, I was rejected. You know, I didn't even care because I didn't expect to get in the first time. I just wanted to kind of go through that process. I took that letter, I put it up over my desk. You know, people were coming into the dorm room, blink off, you're so lucky. The Disney company knows you're alive, right? It was amazing. Um, another year goes by. Andy and I are drawing nonstop. And it was very, very competitive. One day we went to the Columbus Zoo, freezing cold day, bitter cold. I don't know, where did you grow up? Well, Ottawa and then Toronto. Oh, so, so you know. I know. I, I think probably colder than... You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Probably I know that. colder than Columbus. A little bit yeah. sometimes, yeah. So picture that like frigid, bitter, cold day. The kind of day where you go from like the metro in to wherever you're going for like even two Your nose minutes. hairs freeze. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like pain, it's literally painful, <laughs> yeah, right? I know. So it was a Columbus, Ohio freezing day. There's about 15 students. We go to the Columbus Zoo to draw animals. Because one of the things that Disney said, that that guy on stage said, was that if you want to work at Disney, you got to get the internship. And in order to get the internship, he said, you need a portfolio filled with figure drawing and anatomy drawings of people and animals from life. No cartoon characters, he said. And especially, he goes, no drawings of Mickey Mouse. I remember looking back to Mickey Mouse, Jason, you know, and I'm like, huh? You yeah. see him going, oh boy, you know? <laughs> but like this Disney guy said, you got to get good at drawing animals. So me, Andy, and a couple, 15 other students, we take a bus to the Columbus Zoo. It was a school project. 
and we got to go draw animals from life. Now, when you guys watch a movie like The Lion King or any movie where there's animals, how do you think Disney people know how to draw those animals? You don't just wake up one day, look at a blank piece of paper and go, yeah, I think I'll draw an elephant right now. You have to study anatomy, anatomy books, and draw animals from life. So we go to the zoo. The second we get to the zoo, it's freezing. We go into the Wendy's Cafe, and I get a hot drink, and Andy gets a hot drink, and everyone goes in there. And the boys are flirting with the girls. The girls are talking to the boys. Then Andy and I sharpen our pencils. We're like, all right, let's go out there and find some animals. We find the elephants, and this one elephant is just walking back and forth. It's the greatest thing. Just repeating the exact same motion. That's probably a dream for somebody trying to draw, right? Exactly. You nailed it. Yeah, it's dreamy. You're seeing him repeat this motion over and over again. So you're drawing every frame, every pose. It was awesome. We stayed there for 45 minutes, Scott, drawing these animals. This elephant just walking back and forth, freezing. Afterwards, we go into the bus. I'm showing Andy what I drew. He's showing me what he drew. And then I said to one of the other guys, I'm like, dude, we never saw any of you with the elephants. What animals were you all drawing? The guy says to me, but none of us ever left the Wendy's. Mm. Like, why not? He goes, well, we couldn't. It's freezing. Yeah, exactly. That, that was the excuse. Yeah, he says yeah. it was too cold out there. And as soon as he said it was too cold, in my head, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get this one day. Because if that's the competition, I will outwork anybody. And for anyone listening right now, you know, if you ever watch a Netflix documentary about anybody that inspires you, maybe it's The Last Dance. I just watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, again for the third time. Can't get enough of it. Um, and You're a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Maybe obsessive. But whatever documentary you watch about anyone that does something that you consider great, you know what they all have in common? They push through the pain. Not only do they push through the pain, they have expectations that whatever they're trying to do is going to be difficult. How often do my kids say to me, Dad, I want to go try this. Do you think it's going to be, think it's going to be easy? Think it's going to be hard? Should I, should I try that? Is it going to be hard? As if, if it's hard, they're not going to try it. Mm-hmm. I say to them the same thing every time. If you want to be great at anything, it's going to be difficult. So have the mindset before you try something that I'm going to push through this until it is difficult. You want it to be difficult because if you can push through that, that's when you achieve your highest level. You don't go through the pain. You grow through the pain. And that day freezing, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get this because I'm going to outwork all of it. Easy to talk about your dreams and wear your Mickey Mouse sweatshirts and talk about how much you want to work there. But when it gets really cold, you still going to push through it? Well, Andy and I get our drawings together. We send them into Disney. And by this time, everybody in the school knew if there's two people that are going to work at Disney, it's Saul and Andy. They knew it. And we send our portfolios in. And um, I remember going home. It was Christmas break, junior year. I get a call from Andy. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, blink off. You're not going to believe this. I'm like, what am I not going to believe? He goes, dude, I just got a call from Disney. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I got it. I said, you got what? He goes, I got the internship. I'm like, that's incredible. Congratulations. Like, but they didn't call you yet, did they? I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call me right now. I got to hang out. We didn't have call waiting back then, right? It's the olden days. Like I said, my kids used to call me. Dad, you live in the olden days. So I hang up the phone, and I'm walking in the dining room back and forth. My mom comes in at that moment. She's like, honey, what happened? I'm like, mom, Andy just got in. She, he just got a call from Disney. She's pacing back and forth. She's like, you're going to get a call any minute. I'm like, well, you have to say that. You're my mom, you know? Anyway, they're not calling. I'm picking up the dial, the phone. I'm like, did you pay the phone bill? They're a dial tone? Like, why, why are they not calling? Um, they weren't calling, and I was freaking out. And then I came up with an idea to do something a little crazy. Uh, I picked up the phone, and I dialed the head of Disney myself. Good. 
for you. Smart. I mean, it's not out of line with everything else that you've done in right. your career to right. date. You got yeah. to <laughs> you put yourself out there for sure. You know, that reminds me when I was like about 13, I went to see Michael Jordan play the New York Knicks. And before the game, me and my older brother are standing next to the court. And Jordan's standing on the court. He's got those breakaway pants with the buttons, right? And he's just dribbling the ball, practicing. And he had this, this game face, this focus. He's just dribbling the ball, chewing his gum, you know, just focused. And I said to my older brother, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to walk out there and go meet Michael Jordan right now. My brother's like, you're not going anywhere. Before he could finish that sentence, I walked out on the court. I'm looking up to number 23. And I said to him, hi, Mr. Jordan. And he looks down at me and says, quote, yo, how you doing? <laughs> End quote. <laughs> and then he shook my hand. This one right here. Still never washed, right? <laughs> That's that 23 sweat. But the reason I walked out on that court is because when there's something you really want in life, you will do anything to get it. For everyone listening, whatever the goal is that you have, whether you want to be great in your career or you want to be better at marriage or raising kids or whatever it is you want to do, if it's something you really want to accomplish, there's no excuses. You will do anything to get it. So I called up Disney guy. I called up the guy who runs the Disney animation program. Hi, my name is Saul. I want to find out about the internship. He goes, Saul, I have your name on a list here. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I said, what? He goes, yeah, you, you, you didn't make it. I'm like, oh, what about Andy? He goes, yeah, he made it. You didn't. I said, oh, okay. And I hung up the phone. And that was a bittersweet moment for me. Sweet because I was happy for my best friend. Bitter because my dream was shattered. You know where Andy's going? He's going to Disney World. You know what they call Disney World, Scott? They call it the happiest place on earth. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're basically telling you if you want to be happy in life, you can be happy anywhere. You can be happy in Miami, LA, Hawaii. But if you want to be happiest, the only place you can do that is in Disney World. And Andy is going to sunny, beautiful Disney World. I'm going back to Ohio in the wintertime, what I thought was the most depressing place on earth. And when I get back to school, I'm walking the halls of the school, and people are coming up to me. They're like, Blinkoff, what are you doing here? Oh, you didn't make it. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, where's Andy? Oh, he got in. You'd I became known as the guy that was friends with the guy that got into Disney. I became known as the guy who didn't get what he really, really wanted, and I felt like a loser. And... Uh, and they came up with a brilliant way to take that feeling of being a loser away. And for anyone listening, if there's ever a time in your life that you really want something and you go for it and you don't get it and you feel like a loser, you feel like you've let people down in your life, you do what I did, and that feeling will go away in a second. You know what I did? I gave up. I gave up on the entire dream because reality set in. Reality was Andy was an awesome artist and I was just average. You know, every single one of us has a shoulder angel and a shoulder devil. All of us do. That shoulder angel telling us we can do great things, we can change the world, we can aspire for greatness, we can accomplish anything, dream big. Then there's that shoulder devil that tells you, who do you think you are going for that? You're just you. That's not for people like you. That's for Michael Jordan. That's for Steve Jobs. That's not for people like you. Well, I started listening to that shoulder devil, and I was like, yeah, who, who did I think I was? You know, you asked me earlier, like, did you believe in yourself? And yeah, I did, but at this point in my life, I didn't. I gave up on my entire dream. 
He's just going to go be an illustrator, which is which is a respectable position. But Disney, no, that wasn't for me. So I gave up on it. I went through a week of school, trudging through school. Was not happy because when you give up on your dream, you're actually giving up on yourself. You probably feel lost. Yeah, you, right. You, and you exactly. you had the blessing of having this laser focused vision on what you wanted to have early right, on. Right. There's people that still succumb to that, but are much later on in their career, and they didn't have this since they were watching ET when they were right. however many years old, right? So this yeah. was like a yeah, that's a, that's a huge crush. It was exactly yeah. yeah. I think you nailed it. I think hearing you say that, I didn't even realize it until you just said it. Right? It wasn't just giving up on oh, that's that goal of where I want to go. I was giving up on everywhere I'd been. Yeah. Right. Since I was a little boy, right? Like all those that dreaming throughout, I gave up on everywhere I'd been of who I'd been. You know. And uh, I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. 
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. A buddy calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. You want to go? I'm like, I'm not in the mood. 
goes, but they're free tickets. I go, oh, okay, then I'll go. <laughs> so, you know, they offer you free in college. You take it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so I go to the movies, and I'm watching this movie, and tears are streaming down my face. This movie is a true story about a guy who's five feet tall. He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability, and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie is it? Oh, I don't know what movie this is. Come on. I don't, okay. You know it. The most inspiring sports movie ever. The guy is five feet tall, wants to be a football player at the University of Notre Dame. He tells, it's a true story about it. He tells, all, he so tells I'm a hockey fan, man. Oh, I'm a, still, you get sidelined. <laughs> okay, it's called, it? it's called Rudy. Oh. Have you I've seen that movie? Yeah, I have seen that movie. Of course you have. But, yeah, yeah. Right. It's like number one <laughs> sports movie, right? Other than Miracle. Sorry. Yeah, okay. So beating beating right. the Russians was like a Do pretty- Do you yeah. believe in miracles? <laughs> yeah. Yes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a great. We love the movie. But you know what? I, I you also you also saw because I'm not I'm not that old. I'm not right. old. so I was young when Rudy came out. That was not right, as you big were a, like 10, 11 years, yeah. right? right. Yeah. Are you calling me old, dude? What's uh, you're a little, <laughs> you're a little old. Like, <laughs> my kids call me the olden days. You call me I, elderly. I'm gonna yeah, get roasted. Okay. I'm gonna get roasted for that for sure, but that's I'll deal okay. with it. Whatever. Yeah, I played fun. hockey growing up. I didn't play football. I'm Canadian. I'll live. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you got to revisit that movie now. As you're a man, you got to see it again because well, now I now I have to. Now, now you really to, do now have, I have to quote it out and stuff every that's time right. I see someone just to redeem myself. That's right. <laughs> but look, this guy dreamed of playing football at Notre Dame, and if you were friends with the real Rudy Rudiger, it's a true story, and he told you his dream was to play football at Notre Dame, you know what you would have told him as his friend, dude? I love you. Get a new dream. But Rudy's like, oh, yeah? Well, well, we'll just see about that. And he tries to get into Notre Dame, and what happens? Rejected. Tries a second time, rejected. Third time, rejected. But fourth time? You know, if you look at the movie poster for the movie Rudy, it says, when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. He gets in, and tears are streaming down my face. dying. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking, you know what? If an unathletic short kid could get into Notre Dame with an insane amount of hard work, then me, what I thought was an untalented artist, could get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. And I vowed to never give up again. As a matter of fact, Scott, I called up Disney the next day, the same guy on the phone. And I said to him, excuse me, how close was I to getting in? He said, Saul, we picked 17 from over 3,800 portfolios from around the world, and you made it to number 20. What? I had missed it by three? Do you know how many times in our lives we could be so close to achieving something, but all we had to do is push a little bit more, but we feel we're miles away? Then I asked him the million-dollar question. Why did I not get in? You see, we will fail at life. At what? At just about everything. We will fail. We failed the first time we took our first steps when we were kids. We failed when we were kids. We tried to put the circle block into the square peg. We failed the very first time we held a baseball bat in our hand and tried to swing at a fastball. We fail at everything in life. But when we fail, if we find out why, that is the tool to grow. That is the answer key to growing. And he said, Saul, can I be honest with you? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you need more perspective in your drawing. I go, what do you mean? He goes, instead of drawing the model in figure drawing class or an animal from wherever you're standing where your eyes are, give us a dynamic perspective. Stand on a stool or a ladder or go down and look up. Give us a dynamic perspective. And I heard, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That's the answer key. I went, put more work into this portfolio, more into the drawings. And I went to the zoo. 
I stood up on this scaffolding when they were feeding the giraffe. I'll never forget. And I drew a giraffe from above looking down. How cool is that? Like, when have you ever seen a giraffe from above? So cool. Not often. Yeah. Not often, right? <laughs> so I put all these new drawings in my portfolio. I sent them into Disney and boom. When you wish upon a star. There you go. I got in. And it was one of the most exciting moments of my life. As a matter of fact, the way that I found out I got in is I got a call from Andy. He's like, dude, I just saw they put your name on a list here. And you're one of the next interns. It was so great that he's the one that got to tell me I got in. And uh, that's when my dream really started. Uh, I showed up at the airport in Disney World, happiest place on earth. There's a guy there with a sign. It has my name. Is a picture of Mickey Mouse pointing to my name. You know, you know I've arrived in life when someone's waiting at the airport with your name, right? Yeah. Then he drives me to this room, to the Disney Studios. It says Artist Entrance. Drives me into this place. I get into this room. There's all these animation desks. This is before computer animation. All hand-drawn. And in the corner is a desk, big wooden desk, with my name, Saul Blinkoff, kid from New York. And for everyone listening, don't think you heard the story today of a really talented artist who achieved his dream. That is not what you heard. You heard the story of a guy who was the worst artist in his school who achieved his dream and outworked everybody. That's what you heard. You see, nobody wakes up great at anything. Nobody wakes up great at anything. The story you heard was someone who was very average that worked really hard. And I'm telling you, Scott, and all your listeners, if I, Saul Blinkoff, could achieve getting his dream as a Disney animator, then you could achieve so much more in anything that you want in life. And the only thing that's getting in your way is you. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, they don't call it the sales destination. It's a sales journey. And on that journey, you want the best tools and support to keep you and your customers connected every step of the way. HubSpot is an all-in-one CRM platform that is impossible to outgrow and ridiculously easy to use, meaning you never have to worry about it slowing you down. That's because HubSpot is purpose-built for real salespeople with real customers and real problems to solve. With customizable hubs and tools that you can add and subtract as you grow and an interface that's just as easy to use if you're a team of one or 1,000, HubSpot is built for you and your customers to grow together wherever the journey takes you. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. You had an incredible personality, which guided you throughout this journey and pointed you and, and allowed you to take all these actions that eventually led to your success. Not a lot of people have that mindset. Where do you think that came from? Um, you know, my parents were divorced and uh, I have an older brother, a younger sister. I have middle child syndrome, right? And I, you know, I didn't have any friends growing up. You know, this is where the violins come in. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I had like almost no friends growing up. I was bullied a lot, called a loser, called all kinds of names. I remember one day I was in high school. I was putting my books in and some kid ran by me, just spit right on my face. Like a bully. Just yeah. spit on my face. Sure just bully. Yeah, like real bullying. And this kid was actually shorter than me. <laughs> but he had that confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... um because I had, I had a tough childhood, when I had moments that weren't when I was being bullied or weren't being called a loser or whatever, those moments were so sweet. You know, I have very loving parents, incredibly loving parents. 
And, you know, they would take us places or trips or a vacation or whatever. And those moments, they felt so good to me. Even just being in the car and listening to music. You know, when I was in the car, even now, like, I can't be in the car without listening to music with my wife and my kids. Like, we love putting on music in the mm -hmm. car. But when I hear music, it just lifts me up and uplifts me and gives me this taste of how glorious it is to be alive. And I think, for me, like, where that belief came in myself is I just saw Disney as the answer to my sorrow in life. You know, I, you're asking me that question now. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know, it really felt like I thought that if I get into Disney, life would be good. Life will be good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember going down to Disney World on a tour just to walk through the animation studio. Actually, they used to have something at Disney MGM Studios. Today mm -hmm. it's called Disney Hollywood Studios. And you could look through the glass. It used to be a tour where you could watch animators working. They were working on Beauty and the Beast, I think it was. And I saw some animator sitting by the glass drawing Belle. And instead of just going through the tour and then going on like Space Mountain or whatever the next ride was, I spent like half the day by the glass watching that guy draw. And it wasn't just watching him draw. I saw his uh, Walkman, his Sony Walkman. That's the olden days. Yeah, that's the old. That's the olden days. <laughs> he had that. I saw he had like a coffee mug. And I'm like, wow, these are real people. He had flip-flops on. And I'm like, wow, I could live in a place where I could wear flip-flops, have a coffee mug, and listen to music at a desk living at Disney World. It wasn't just that I loved drawing or wanted to be at Disney. I wanted the whole life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to live in a place that was called the happiest place on earth because I thought if I could get into Disney, then it would fix everything that was broken in my entire life up until then. The truth is, though... The chip on the shoulder. Yeah. But a looking, little bit, yeah. But, but looking back at that now, I would tell myself, you need to grow up. You know, life is not about escaping your problems. You're never going to move somewhere and everything is going to be perfect. Life will always be a challenge. By the way, when I got into Disney, I had some bosses that were tough on me. You know, I, I was made to feel like a loser again in certain areas in my life. You know, you, when you go to a new place, you never escape yourself. We should never allow our happiness to be dependent on outside experiences. It's really important, right? Because there's always going to be something that's going to test us every day. You know, if I can go back to myself, when I, I remember that actually the second time I tried to get into Disney and I was rejected. I remember calling my sister up on the phone. And I said to her one day, you know, she, she was calling to see how I was. And I was like, you know, if I get into Disney, I remember saying the words to her, if I get into Disney, I could sit at the same desk and draw the same drawing of Mickey Mouse all day, every day, and I would be happy. That was the goal. And I think for most of us in the world, if you ask people, what's your goal in life? Mm -hmm. Probably everyone will tell you, you know what my goal is? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. But what we're really saying is when this happens, I'll get happy. When I meet the love of my life, I'll get happy. When my company makes this amount of money, mm -hmm. I'll be happy. That I have control because I think if I make enough money, I have enough power. And if I have power, I can do what? Whatever I want to do. And that will make me happy because my whole life, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. My parents told me what to do. And then my teachers told me what to do. And then my last boss, who was a jerk, they told me what to do. But now if I make a lot of money, I can do whatever I want. And then I'll be happy. But the goal of life, in my humble opinion, should not be going for a life of happiness. I think there's something a lot sweeter. You know, you're old enough to have seen the movie The Lion King, right? I am old enough to have seen all okay. the versions of The Lion King. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> so, look, you know, Disney movies are a big part of my life. And 
Lion King to me is still the best animated movie of all time. You know, I mean, BF before Frozen. Okay, I mean, the, is that the is that that's the, that's that's how you that's how you rate right? It's all about Frozen because Frozen just took it to another level. Yeah, yeah. But Lion King, you know, that movie, it's all about teaching us an incredible message. Simba can't wait to be king one day. He sings a song about it. Mm -hmm. Just can't wait to be king, right? He wants to be king because he thinks being a king is he can do anything he wants. I have all this power. Even when he's this young cub, he says to Mufasa, you know, Mufasa's like, son, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. And Simba's like, there's more? Wow, what could be better? And then something happens to dad. I don't want to spoil it for anybody listening, but if you haven't seen the movie now, it's over 30 years. Guess what? <laughs> dad dies, right? <laughs> Look, it's a Disney movie. They always kill a parent off, right? Right? Yeah, Finding Bambi Nemo, too. Yeah. Bambi, yeah, they yeah. shoot the mom, right? Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking the other day, you know any Disney movies don't have moms at all, right? Aladdin has no mom. The Little Mermaid yeah. has no mom. Belle has no mom. Bambi, they shot the mom, right? Yeah, so that's they, true, yeah. You never thought of that, right? <laughs> Something's going on with the moms. Anyway. Dad dies, Simba goes off to Hakuna Matata world, right? Remember yeah. Hakuna Matata? You know the song, right? Yeah, of course. What yeah. a wonderful friend. <laughs> he goes off to Hakuna Matata world. And what does Hakuna Matata mean? Do you remember what it means? Uh, oh, it means no worries for the rest go. of your days. No yeah. worries yeah. for the rest. Exactly. You got it. You got it. Right there. <laughs> I got one. I got one. You got one. So he goes to Hakuna Matata world, no worries. And Hakuna Matata world is lush beautiful there's waterfalls flowers you got pumba and timon living there it's amazing right and midway through the movie who shows up to see simba do you remember who shows up who comes and finds nala him? dude yeah. that's yeah. Two yeah. right there so nala yeah. shows up right she was a little lioness that he grew up with but now she's all grown up right yeah she's got the big eyelashes now they got their song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, right? They're rolling around. The sun is setting. They're going to kiss. It's always a weird scene when their heads are going forward. I always cover my kids' eyes. It's lions. I know. My kids are like, Dad, we can watch it. It's lions. I'm like, it's no, weird. even that's a little inappropriate, <laughs> right? So anyway, but they have their little moment. And then she's like, Simba, good to see you, but you got to come back with me. Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. Look where I live. I'm living in the Garden of Eden. I mean, he's in a jacuzzi. He sleeps on a hammock. It's why would I ever leave this? Hakuna Matata, I'm staying here. She's like, no, no, no. Maybe I didn't make myself clear. Scar's taking over everything, and if you don't come back, everyone is going to die, and you are responsible. Then you know what he says? Hakuna Matata, I'm staying right here. She goes, what do you mean? When are you going to grow up? He goes, whoa, 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 you're beginning to act like my dad. She goes, at least one of us does. She even sings it. She goes, why won't he be the king I know he is? The king I see inside. She sees his greatness and he doesn't even see it himself. And then you know what she does? She leaves him. She leaves him. He's left alone. Rafiki comes, hits him on the head. He sees his father in the clouds. Remember who you are. You've got all the voices down. Right? You've got every, well, I mean, like you've, there you've you been go. there for a long, right. long enough time. I've been doing it, right? Remember who you are. Simba goes back, defeats Scar, and Lion King becomes the biggest animated movie of all time, BF, before Frozen. <laughs> Not because we love movies about lions, because that movie gives us all a taste of what true greatness is. And Simba goes back, and that movie becomes the biggest animated movie of all time. Not because we love movies about lions, but because that movie gives us a taste of what real greatness is. You know what greatness is? Not waking up every day and saying, how can I live a life of comfort? All of us want to work hard so we can get to Hawaii. 
and be on that beach and be in that jacuzzi, just like Simba was in Hakuna Matata world. That's what we think life is. If I work now, I can have what life's really about, which is what? Comfort, decadence, luxury, no work, no responsibilities. But what that movie shows us is, you know what life is really about? Taking responsibility for the world. You see, we shouldn't wake up every day and think that life's about becoming happy. There's something sweeter than happiness, and that's living a life of meaning. And meaning only comes from one thing, not waking up every day and saying, what can I get? But it's how can I give? How can I serve humanity? There's a beautiful quote my wife and I love from Winston Churchill. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And each one of us, each one of us listening to this has to figure out in our own hearts, what's my passion? What's my ability? What makes me unique? And how can I take what makes me unique and serve humanity and give to the world? Because then your happiness isn't dependent on any outside experiences. Your life is meaningful, not because of what you accomplish, but because of what you're striving to accomplish. That every day when you put your head on the pillow, maybe you didn't, you weren't successful in getting your company at the numbers you wanted. Maybe you had an argument with your spouse, or maybe you realized you could do a better job as a parent. But at least if you have the clarity that you're trying to grow and to grow who you are as a human being, to try to become a better person, to take responsibility, to give to other people, then you can at least put your head on the pillow at the end of the day and know that, yeah, my life matters. It's meaningful. When did you start to think like that? Because this is leadership lessons. It transcends growth. It transcends accomplishment. There's many people that are highly successful that don't think that way. And I, we're aligned with everything that you're saying. But you achieved what you wanted to achieve. And you could have just killed it at Disney and never really taken a second thought as to what you wanted to accomplish your own life outside of that. Yeah. You know, it's so you, you ask it beautifully. I mean, I was at Disney. I got my dream. Um, I had worked on Pocahontas, which is the first movie I worked on. And I worked on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, and then Mulan. For four years, I worked on Mulan. Remember that one? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Let's get down to business, right? To defeat. Some people are singing in their cars. The Huns, right? Yeah. Some people are like, I never heard the song. Um, so after Mulan, before I went on the movie Tarzan, uh, we had at Disney what's called downtime. Um, basically they were figuring out the script on the movie Tarzan for like a year. So the animators would come into work with nothing to do. And they said, you know, we're going to pay you, but you don't have to come into work at all. This is amazing. And like I said, it's called yeah. downtime. I always tell my kids, if anyone ever offers you a job and they say, we have downtime, take the job. Take it. <laughs> take it. You're getting paid to do nothing. And you know what downtime is in Disney World? You ride roller coasters all day. It's Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain. Woo! Right, I became quite the mountaineer in Disney World, right? And downtime went to six months. They said, you don't even have to come in. So me and my buddies would go to the pools at the Disney hotels. There's over 15 hotels in Disney World. And they had one of those lazy rivers at the Beach Club Hotel. I love those. You know, you don't even have to be alive and you can swim, right? <laughs> and it moves you, moves you for it moves you. you yeah. Right, yeah. right? I got a cold pina colada in my hand. Yeah. I remember my brother was in law school freezing. And he's like, Saul, what are you up to these days? I'm like, Jay... You don't want to know, right? Living, living the dream. Living the dream. Li li actually living the dream. <laughs> yeah, I really was. Yeah. And I had a checklist of every single thing I ever could have wanted. You know, what if you could make a list and check off every single thing you want? I had my dream job. 
I had this incredible girlfriend who I later married, right? My friends, I'm living in happiest place on earth. I had everything. But something felt like it was missing. And, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I'm Jewish, and I grew up, you know, not so religious. You know, my parents definitely had a love of Judaism and a love of uh, connecting to Judaism. But as an individual who is now an adult, I didn't really understand my own Jewish identity. So I got out of the pool one day, and I found myself in Israel on a program to learn about Jewish history and my place within the Jewish people. And when I went on that trip in Israel, I started learning about tapping into what makes us unique. And really, like you asked, what changed? It was really that one word, responsibility. I never, I really never, I always saw my life as like, if I get to Disney, I'll be happy, then I can make money, and I can have my name in a movie, I can buy a sports car, and this is, I can get more what I want. You know, there's a big buzzword you hear right now in a lot of people's podcasts. A lot of motivational speakers, they're going to use this word. I think it's a turnoff word. I don't like it. I hope I don't offend anybody. The word is abundance. Abundance. You hear it all the time now, don't you? (laughs) It is. Everyone talks about it. Like, oh, if you do this, you'll have more abundance. You know what abundance means? It means the word more. If you listen to my seminar, you can have more of what? Of whatever it is you want. Is that what life you know is about? funny? I've actually heard it in a different context. Tell me. So I've heard it in the context you want to live a mindset of abundance where everything you, you have is meant, everything you achieve is meant to give to others. Oh. So your mindset is towards giving well, everything. I think that's the right mindset for it. I've never, so I would say that, that the way you just define it is that's a horrible right. representation of that's how you how live I've your life. That's how I've been hearing it, but I like yeah. the way you're saying it. Interesting. Because you're saying it's it's a mindset. Of giving as much as you can. Like, like there's so much in the world right. that even if you make a million bucks or 10 million bucks or 100 million bucks, like give it as much as you can. There'll right. always be more. Beautiful. That's the way that I've heard it. Okay. I'm main to what you just said. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's how I've heard it described. Beautiful. You want to live a mindset of abundance. Like right. there's so much. Like, for example, if, uh, you know, if you're in, um, I don't know, say you're in business with somebody. And you, and you have to be ethical and you're going to lose a deal. You lose that deal because there's so much more out there that you shouldn't be worried about compromising who you are as a person. Because there's more. Yeah, there's you'll abundance. You'll have other opportunities. Yes, and... but not personal abundance, just right. like the world is infinite. Right. There's, so much, there's so much of everything. Right. So that's a different form Beautiful. of abundance. I love that. Well, I wish I had your definition back when I was started because I needed that. Well, that's it's, what Israel yeah. gave me. They gave me that kind of understanding more in line with exactly what you said, Scott more about the idea of, of, of the other people, of how do you serve other people. And by the way, that changed everything in my life because now I didn't just see myself as a filmmaker making whatever movies. It was like, well, what are the values that I'm putting in the projects that I work on? And I've turned down projects from studios that I don't think are in line with the values of what I want to do. Like right now, today, I'm a supervising producer at DreamWorks Animation. And I look back at the projects that I've done. You know, I got to direct a show called Doc McStuffins. I don't know if you know the show. I don't know that show. Okay. So this was only the number one preschool show in the world. That's fine. But it was about eight years ago. I I am older. You are I'm not that young. Right. (laughs) But like this show, which was an incredible show created by Chris Nee, an incredible show creator, this show made a huge impact because it's a show about a little girl who's a doctor to her toys. And because of this show, it had the goal of letting kids know that they can be comfortable when they go to the doctor's office. And how many people have come up to me over the years and said, I'm so grateful that you made this show because it shows kids it's okay to go to the doctors. It really made an impact. And now as a filmmaker, I try to use my love of being a filmmaker to make stories and tell stories that I think are going to impact others and to make a difference. 
Um, and that's really how I, I look at my life now, you know, because someday, I hope this doesn't sound morbid, but the reality is someday mm-hmm. we're all going to die. Like we're all going to be in the ground. That, that's a fact. It's, it's true. You know, in Judaism, there's an idea that says if you have to choose to go to a wedding or a funeral, choose the funeral. And some people hearing that are like, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that? Go to a wedding. You get to dress up. Eat the sushi buffet, celebrate, give a cheers, drink champagne, sing, dance, beautiful, eat steak. That's what you want to do. Who wants to go to a funeral? But you see, when you go to a wedding, do you have a glorious time and it's wonderful? Yeah. And you give the bride and groom all this great pleasure? Sure. But when you go to a funeral, every single one of us stands there. And for at least a moment, we have a realization that someday that's going to be me that I'm going to be in the ground. And when we leave a funeral, hopefully we have the mindset of thinking, you know what? I'm on limited time. What am I waiting for? What else do I want to accomplish? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. What are we waiting for? Have you, ever heard the, have you ever heard the concept of stoicism? No. What is that? That's that's the concept of stoicism. It's being very cognizant of your own mortality. Beautiful. Yeah, I think there it goes back to um, Roman, Roman, uh, philosophers, and right? I could be misquoting because I don't have a computer to fact check, but one of the concepts of stoicism is always be cognizant that one day you're not going to be around anymore and always to humble yourself to that fact so you can yeah. accomplish as much as you can to the point where I think there was, this, this is a story that I've heard through a friend of a friend, so excuse me if it's not 100% factually accurate, but the story is when people, when when generals would come back from war and, and cities were celebrating them and whatnot, they were in chariots and they were going through the city and people, there was like a big parade, right? Because they just were successful in their conquest of whatever part of the world they conquested. Yeah. And they would have somebody in the chariot that would always be whispering in the general's ear, like, you're only human, you're going to die, to make sure they didn't think they were gods. Wow. So that was something that was... That's put- awesome. You know, Steve Jobs, I think, said a quote about that. He was at the Stanford University address he was giving. I know this. I know that I've seen this clip. See this yeah. clip, right? And yeah. he says, like, one of the greatest gifts to humanity is having the awareness that one day we're going to die. And that that should give us the understanding, the clarity that we need to not wait. You know, we don't have the rest of our lives. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And that's why when you go to a funeral, you leave that funeral with more clarity of what's important in life and what, what matters in life. And that's the kind of clarity that I try to put into everything and I do. And I know that someday my kids are going to see my name scrawled out on a gravestone. The same name that's been in the credits of Mulan and Tarzan and all these big Disney movies. But who cares about those? Because my kids are going to want to know, you know what, did did my dad try to become a better person? Mm -hmm. Did he try and live the values that he talks about? Did he try to become a better human being? Because at the end of the day, I really think that's what life's about. How do we grow? You know, I had on my podcast uh, George Foreman, the boxer, heavyweight champ. You probably think he's from the grill. You don't even know. He's I, a I do know he's a boxer. Okay, right. I, but I know him from the grill too. I know him from the grill more. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, all right. <laughs> You're that generation, yeah. right? So, right. He was a heavyweight champion of the world twice with a 20 year interval, by the way. I didn't know that. He was heavyweight champion of the world at 20 years old. And then 20 years later, goes into retirement after he loses Muhammad and at 40 does wow. it again. It was a laughing stock that he was even trying. He does it again. He made for the Foreman Grill his first year on that grill 138 million dollars. The guy is doing okay. He was a gold medal Olympian. That's incredible. Gold medal Olympian. 
heavyweight boxer, Fortune 500, the grill. Yeah. He's on a TV show. I mean, he's done everything. And I asked him one question. George, what's the legacy you want to leave your kids? How do you want the world to remember you? What's your legacy? He didn't mention anything about money. He didn't mention anything about grill or boxing. He says, there's one thing I want people to remember about me, and you know what it is? That I loved humanity. That I loved human beings. That when I walked down the street, I had the mindset that I wanted to smile at a person and make their day just a little bit better. You know, I said earlier about the word responsibility. I heard a beautiful thing about that word once. It says responsibility is really the ability to respond. Responsibility is the ability to respond. And wherever in life we have the ability to respond, we should. We're responsible. How can we make a difference in another person's life? Because when we do that, we get that real pixie dust. We get mm -hmm. that life of meaning, you know? So this is... so. Take it back to where you were in your story when you chose to have more responsibility. You understood that you had to have responsibility. You understood how you wanted your life to, to sort of pan out professionally, personally, spiritually. Where did that take you? So you're now in Disney. You're working on all these projects. Right. You, you adopt more Judaism into your life. And, and how does that affect your, I'm assuming that's, where most of the things that you speak on now come from yeah, a lot of a lot of mindset, wisdom yeah. a lot of wisdom comes yeah. from that so how did that impact your life and what does that look like and how does that affect and also potentially um could it could it uh hurt a professional aspiration in any sense or talk to me about yeah great yeah. question um yeah well first of all my, my jewish identity impacts every moment of my life it's an awareness and, uh, but I'll give you a practical way of how it really does help me be more successful at life, not at business, at life. You know, in the Jewish religion, there's a concept of the Sabbath, and we are obligated to observe the Sabbath. What does it mean? Don't work. And by the way, for all my Christian friends listening right now, they also don't work on Sunday. They have the Sabbath also. And if you think about that for a moment, that the Bible was written by the creator of the world, the one who created us to want to have the greatest lives imaginable. And the creator says to us, if you want to be great at life, stop working for one day. Yeah, but I got to do all these things. I got to change the world. I got to make money so I can give all this charity. I'm trying to heal people. I'm trying to cure cancer. That's my life's work. You know what he's saying to us? Stop working. You need one day to stop working. Not to rest. No, to clarify what your life is really about. I come home on a Wednesday night, and I'm sitting at the table with my family, and my iPhone gets a ping or whatever it is. My kids know it's daddy's work call. I got to go. Or if I'm in the car with my kids and daddy gets a work call, everyone knows, shh, quiet, shh, daddy's work call, work call. My kids know there's nothing more important than a work call. Why? Because work calls pays for our home, pays for you to eat, pays for you to have clothing. But guess what? I have to get away from the table during dinner. It shows my kids, you know what? You are not the most important thing in my life right now. I got to go do this. And even though I could tell them and justify, well, I'm going to do this so I can make money because I do love you, it's still, it's my time. My time will always go to work before you and before what life is really about. The creator of the world comes and says, you know what? 
you're going to shut off your phone. That's right. People listening, you want to know what I do? For 24 hours every week from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, I shut off my phone. Some of you are hearing that. You're like, oh, I, I would never be able to do that. Yes, you can. And you don't need to be Jewish to do it. You don't need to be Christian. You hear Oprah talk about it all the time. We have to disconnect in order to connect. Connecting to what? To what our real potential is. And my kids know Friday night when I come to the table, that phone is away. The iPad, away. We sit as a family and have like a two or three hour dinner. It's incredible. And just carving out time that window of time to be with my family and to connect with my purpose. And by the way, if you're not, if you don't have kids and you don't have a spouse, still you should take a day where you shut off your phone for an entire day. You will breathe better. You will understand your clarity better. You will be able to take that pressure away. That pressure, I know that every second I'm alive, I can be doing something to further my career. I can always do another post on Instagram. I can always email somebody, another potential client. But for 24 hours, once a week, take that pressure away from you. How much can you really bear? You know, I have a brother who he's working so hard at this business right now, and he's like 24-7. He stresses and he's working hard. He's an incredible dad and he runs an incredible business, but he's got so much pressure on him. I just want to tell them, shut off your phone for yeah. one day. Watch the impact it'll have in your life. That's how I try to incorporate my Jewish identity uh, and make it a, a part of my life so that it's real. And and how was it? Was it difficult for you at first? Because oh, yeah, I think that now actually we've we've gone for through sure. various levels of this. So I think that for a while it was all hustle culture with a lot of high operating individuals yeah. and then i think it's i think that concept maybe even five years ago or 10 years ago for somebody that had no introduction to the concept would be very difficult but now i think that there's there's probably scientific benefits to to shutting off to taking breaks to decompressing to oh, yeah. and and it's funny how like all the secrets to being successful they've already been there for thousands of years right and we just we're not looking in the right, right. spot i right. always found that very interesting about yeah. Yeah, we had to tap into it. By the way, let's say you're yeah. listening to this and you're like, look, I mean, I'll tell you right in the beginning, when I first heard about the Sabbath, for example, and shutting off phones, I'm like, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. And I remember for the first couple of years, all I did was stop working just Friday night. And that was a big change, you know? Um, look, there's certain, we try when we go out to eat with our kids. My wife and I try to keep our phones away from the table. You know, sometimes we'll go out to eat. We don't even bring our phones. That's right. We don't even bring them. <laughs> and how many, how many kids do you have? We got four kids. Our yeah. oldest is 17. Our youngest is nine. And we got a, a puppy. So, that counts uh, too. <laughs> yeah, right. But look, I'm a busy guy. Yeah. You know, I'm a busy guy. And uh, I want to give my kids more time. I want to give my wife more time. So the fact that I try to carve out time, not even just one day a week, but even throughout the week, just to have what I call windows of time. Yeah. You know, you pick up your kid from carpool. Right? Don't have a mindset of you want to do a work call in the car. Try to be there with your kids. Listen to their day. You know, you're, you're sitting down to dinner with your kids. Try to have a mindset that you want to connect with them or connect with your spouse or whoever. So, yeah, I, I do try to have these windows of time where I let myself control my time instead of my time controlling me. You know, I think that that's the first victim of success. It's your it's your health and your family. Yeah, usually, and right. it's unfortunate. But I like having these conversations because I don't think that religious or not, I think that being very cognizant of of all the different things in your life that are important. Right. I mean, 
a lot of executives that I know are divorced. A lot of also executives that I know have heart issues or dying from heart attacks at young ages. So I think that just like you've, you've done it right. Well, they're workaholics, right? Yeah. But you, you, like all the things you've structured in your life, like when you take, when you take that day off, like there's, there's physical benefits to your body. There's there's mental clarity benefits, your mental health, well-being, plus your family benefits as well. So it's just, I think that it also like, because you do it every single week, it puts it top of mind every single week. So then all the other parts of your life, you start to be more aware of what's really important because every single week you're forced to be reminded about what actually matters. So now you're saying, even when it's not, you know, it's not Sabbath, not Shabbat, like on like a Wednesday or you, if you try and have dinner with your family, you're still trying to be more present, which is a huge issue. And that, and technology moves quick, right? That's why it's very difficult. Like there's a thousand notifications we get from every single thing, every single day. And I don't think we've been able to really process and keep up with the things that constantly like just bombard us you all know, the and time. And by the way, you know, I mean, I don't, you don't, I don't know if you remember, but it wasn't like that always. I mean, look, I remember when I started COVID out. COVID made it worse too. COVID made it worse. But yeah. I'll, let me go back to the 90s for a second. In the 90s, when I worked at Disney starting out as an animator, I had, there was no computer. No one had an email address, okay? Can you imagine? That's, that's old. That's old, that's right? Old. And but not had, really. Right, but Not had, really that old. It's not that old. Look, yeah. mankind has been around for thousands of years. And only in the last somewhat, what, 20 years, not even, are people able to access each other and connect the way we are right now. That's a crazy, it's really a blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. It's a very small amount of time. But I can tell you, I remember when like I had a desk and I would draw, I was working on Mulan and I had a phone and I would finish work, I'd leave, I'd go home, hang out with my friends, go to play basketball, swim, whatever. There was no work. No one could contact you for work outside of work. Sometimes you would check your messages if you were expecting a big call. You would have to call a number just to hear a message. But other than that, that was it. You come into work the next day, there'd be a red light on your phone like, oh, there must be something in my inbox, so to speak. And then you did your job. But today, when I leave work, I got Instagram, texts, WhatsApp, email, Facebook. I mean, this, everyone's trying to contact me. Tons of people contact me, and they can contact me. So work is now 24-7. People are always contacting you. So like you said before, like whether you're religious or not, Jewish, Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Try to find a time in your lives where you will set up a parameter that you will not work and you will not take any phone calls or texts. A lot of people meditate in the mornings when they wake up. They'll do like a half-hour meditation session. You can find out about how to meditate, how to pray, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat. But to set up a time that at least your day starts where you're breathing and you're focused and you're thinking about clarifying what life is about, not just what meetings you want to get to or how you want to further your business, but really the whole balance of life, of how you want to achieve more meaning in your life. And then go create, then go into your phone and then go hit it and kill it. But at least set those times where you can disconnect so that you can connect. Now, how do you prioritize your day, your life. And the reason I ask that is because you didn't just stay in your lane as a career professional. So now you have a podcast, now you speak, Right. you've done all these other things. Yeah. So where have you chosen to spend your time and why is that important to you? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, look, yeah, I do have, I basically have three full-time jobs right now. I'm a supervising producer at DreamWorks Animation is number one. Two is I have the podcast, Life of Awesome, which the episodes are, some of them are just me sharing ideas about life and personal growth. Or Why the title? Why the title? Life of Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, look, if somebody comes up to you and they say, how are things going? You'd be like, yeah, things are good. 
Most people are like, yeah, things are good. What if they come up to you and they go, how are things going? You'd be like, things, things are great. They'd be like, oh, that's good. I'm really happy for you. But if they come up to you and say, how are things going? You go, let me tell you how things are going. Things are going awesome. They'd be like, why? What happened? Did you win the lottery? <laughs> did, did you meet the love of your life? Did you just get that job promotion? What if you said, no, it's just, it's just awesome to be alive. I want every day to feel awesome. I don't want to just feel like when I'm walking into a Disney theme park, wow, this is incredible. I want to feel that when I leave a Disney theme park, life is incredible. Life is awesome. That's how I came up with the name of it. And some of the episodes are me sharing ideas. And some of them are me interviewing great people like George Foreman. Mm -hmm. uh, I had Alan Menken on. He's the Tim Story too. Tim Story. Yeah. yeah, just great people. Christina Kuzmich. She's amazing. Just it's fun, eh? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, so it's fun. fun. <laughs> I mean, it's fun and yeah. it's an insane amount of work, you know? It is. But, but it, yeah, it's, it's very, like anything. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I also, you know, my wife helps me a lot with my social media and it's really like a family affair. Even one yeah. of my teenagers is like, mom, no, Instagram has to be like this, mom, you know? So, I, you know, I have the producer, DreamWorks job. I have the podcast. But the, the third uh, full-time job I have is as is an is a inspirational speaker. So I do travel the world speaking, giving keynotes, talking to communities or corporations, talking about all aspects of life. Um, so if anyone is interested in that, you can check out my website, by the way, SaulBlinkoff.com. I'll link all that stuff too, yeah. Yeah, link that. That would be great. What's this, And what's the social? Uh, so SaulBlinkoff.com is my website. Then I'm also on Instagram, Saul.Blinkoff. Uh, but look, I, have, I, I try to balance those three things, but let's put those aside. I have a fourth full-time job. I'm a husband and a father, you know? Yeah. And uh, I know that childhood is a blink of an eye because I went through it. And I have just a couple more years where my kids are young enough before they're out of the house. And I want to spend those times with my kids. I want to spend time with my wife. I want the balance. Uh, and I feel, and I'm just telling you, Scott, I feel so empowered when I make a decision in my head that I am not going to look at my phone. It's the most empowering feeling to know that I have control over that device as opposed to that device is controlling me. Sometimes I get a ting or whatever, and I don't even look at it because I'm, I'm not in that zone right now. Like whoever's in there, if my wife is next to me, my kids are there. It's all that matters. That's right. You know, I, I got for me something happens to my parents. Like they're going to call me like three times in a row and I'll pick up the phone. But other than that, whoever's t p you know, texting me, they're not going to die right now. My career's not going to get destroyed right now. I don't have to run to it. Uh, and I love that feeling. So look, I do try to balance my life. And um, look, I've enjoyed talking with you. I love the work that you do. Thank you, man. And uh, yeah, it's, I, and I commend all your listeners for tuning in. You know, Scott's doing great work, and you should share uh, all of his episodes. And you know, Scott, you said to me before you were the interview, which I thought was really inspiring. I, your listeners didn't hear it, but I want to I want to convey it to them. You said, you know, I like to interview people who aren't just successful uh, at business. I want people who are successful at life. And the fact that you said that shows that you have the sensitivity of how to balance your life. Uh, so I wish you continued success uh, on your podcast and all the people who are listening to continue to listen and, and share this with other people and to continue to create this uh, incredible community that you're Thank creating. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're doing great I, stuff. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Can I do a couple of rapid fire to close sure. this up? Okay. let's do it. Uh, the first thing I always like to ask, uh, you've accomplished a lot in your life. You operate at a very high level. What are the things that keep you up at night? Uh, the things that keep me up at night? Wow, I thought I was the only one. How did you know I was up at night? You're right. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we all are. That's we nice to know. <laughs> I need a support group now. Um, the things that keep me up at night is, is only one thing. It's, it's 
when I have the awareness that time is just slipping and just thinking of all those things I want to accomplish, especially as a dad. Yeah. Nothing keeps me up at night with my career. I mean, I'm telling you nothing, nothing. And and by the way, there's definitely a lot I want to do with my career. I want to speak in more places. I want to make bigger movies that are going to impact people and all those things. I have those goals that I work very hard, but the thing that keeps me up at night is like, did, was I present with my kids this week? You know, did I, did I, was I there for my son this week enough? Was I there for my teenage daughter enough? Was I present enough for them? That's the biggest indicator I have that time is fleeting because I see my kids grow, not just physically every day, but I see them grow as human beings. And, and just, I'm like, wow, they don't need me as much anymore. Maybe that's my own ego, you know? But um, yeah, that's what keeps me up at night. Just, just feeling like time is slipping. You know, Steve Miller band had a song way before your time. <laughs> um, time keeps on slipping, slipping. Yeah, I know the song. Remember? Yeah. Into the future. I, that song like r- plays in my head when I, when I get to But bed. you optimize for the right stuff. You optimize yeah, for the right I try, stuff. I try. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, you wanted rapid fire. That wasn't rapid. No, I, I say rapid fire just because there's oh, like okay. a couple. You don't actually have to do rapid oh, fire. I'm not. It. I'm not stressed out. And it's, right. <laughs> um, all right. Biggest challenge out of all the challenges you mentioned a few. So biggest challenge. What was it, and how did you overcome it? Uh, biggest challenge. Um, many years ago, about 15 years ago, my wife and I had moved to Toronto. Uh, I, I know I, it. You know it well. I know it, right? yeah. And I, I had left Disney, was offered this big movie directing deal for a company uh, called IDT Entertainment. I don't know them, though. Yeah, they only made one or two movies, and they shut down that division. They're a technology company, but they got me, uh, they gave me this huge offer to direct a movie in Toronto. My wife was pregnant with our second kid. I moved to Toronto, and uh, my whole family, we rent this huge house. I spend thousands of dollars to redo this house because we're going to be there for like two, three years. I get this painter. I'm getting new knobs. I'm glazing the bathtub, like all this stuff. And our stuff from L.A. hasn't even come yet. And I go into work uh, one day, and me and my directing partner find out that we're fired. Boom. What happened? Fired. They just didn't like the vision we had for this movie. Like we had a vision for the story we wanted to tell. It was a movie called Sheepish about these sheep that are being terrorized by these wolves, and we had this really creative vision on it. And the executives were not there to support us, and they let us go. And I had to walk into this cafe. It was a rainy day in Toronto. My wife was sitting there smiling with our little one, and my wife, like I said, was pregnant, nine months pregnant. And I had to tell her I lost my job. And it was one of the toughest days of my life. And I felt like I let her down. And she just took my hand, and she was choked up and hugged me and reassured me and is the greatest life partner that I could ever ask for. Um, it was a great challenge. From that day, <clears throat> I, uh, I, we lived in Toronto for the next couple of months because we couldn't fly back because she was so far along in her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And after with a newborn, you couldn't fly back. So we were stuck in Toronto for six months. Well, I turned that into just an incredible opportunity to be with my wife as we were giving birth to our next child, and to write a project. So I wrote a project during that time, and I pitched it to DreamWorks, later sold it to DreamWorks, that I'm still developing right now. Um, but um, yeah, that was one of the greatest challenges. And how did I get through it? Because I married the greatest woman in the world. <laughs> That's good how advice. I got through it. Yeah. That's good advice. There's, there's wisdom there, too. There's well, the, a, the lesson like, there, too. Yeah, I mean, the lesson really is, you know, don't just commit to someone because they're successful right now. 
because you don't know what life's going to give you. Life mm -hmm. has ups and downs, you know, but if you're looking for a partner in life, then you're going to need that partner to help you through those dark times, through the rain, so to speak. Make sure if you have a relationship that your values are aligned and that the relationship is not dependent. Remember I said before, don't let happiness be dependent on outside experiences. Don't let relationships be dependent on financial success or not. You're either looking into the eyes of this person and knowing this is my life's partner that I can build a life with, or you don't. It's not dependent on your bank account. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. If you had to choose one person in your life who's had a major impact, who was that person? What did they teach you? So <laughs> when I started at Disney, um, the greatest Disney animator that ever lived is a guy named Glenn Keane. He single-handedly designed and animated Ariel, the Little Mermaid, yeah. Aladdin, the Beast, Beauty and the Beast, Tarzan, Pocahontas. You've heard of his like characters. He's, he's, he's there. He's, he's the doing Michael it. Jordan, yeah. right? Yeah, he's he, the GOAT. He's not of... the LeBron. He's <laughs> the Michael Jordan, right? Of animators. And my um, when I was in college, I wanted to find out what kind of pencil he used. I heard he used a special pencil. I thought if I get the pencil that Glenn Keane has, I can draw like Glenn Keane. So I tracked down the name of the pencil. This is before the internet, so it wasn't so simple. And I find out that the company that makes that pencil, they're out of business. They're not making the pencil anymore. And they sold their last 10 boxes to Glenn Keane himself. So I can't get one. Three years later, I'm working on the movie Pocahontas. I get called into the office of Glenn Keane himself. Amazing. He takes out a piece of paper, starts drawing Pocahontas and teaching me. And as he's teaching me, I'm distracted. Why? Because I'm staring at the pencil. And to me, it wasn't just a pencil. It was like the paintbrush of Michelangelo, right? Because when someone does something incredible, then the tools that they use to accomplish it take on a whole level of majesty themselves. You know, Michael Jordan, Shaq, all these guys, they give their sneakers away to a kid after a game. The kid's not just like, wow, I love sneakers. Like, no, no, these aren't just sneakers. These are the ones that Michael used to fly. It's amazing. So I had... Watching Glenn Keane draw Pocahontas, he can tell I'm distracted. He's like, what? I'm like, is that the pencil? He's like, yeah, that's the pencil. I'm like, can I hold that? He's like, yeah. I'm like, wow. It's got teeth marks in it. It's like half used. He looks at me and he says, Saul, it's not the pencil that makes the animator. And he pointed to two words on his desk. That's what makes the animator. And those two words are two words that you can apply to every aspect of life. The words are be sincere you know what it means it means if you don't feel it they won't feel it if it's not real for you it's not going to be real for them and this applies for everything in life you work for a company you have a product you know the first thing you need to do to sell that product is you need to love it you need to love that product mm -hmm. if you don't love it how are they going to love it look i'm an inspirational speaker i travel the world speaking I speak about things that are real to me. I speak about real challenges that I go through. They say that words that leave the heart penetrate the heart. You want to make an impact on somebody? You have to be real. That's what I learned from Glenn Keane. Be sincere. That's a good lesson. Yeah. That's a very applicable lesson. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> a book, a podcast, an audible, doesn't matter what. One source of material that's had an incredible impact on your life. What was it? Yeah, there's a, a, a amazing uh, poem from Robert Frost, mm -hmm. uh, and it's called "Stopping in the Woods." Uh, Stopping in the woods on a snowy evening, and uh, in this poem, which is my favorite, my kids all have it memorized. Um, he talks about how he's on this journey and he's stopping in the snow, 
to look through this farmhouse and he's seeing how beautiful it is. And he's listening to the sounds of the snow falling. And the world is just filling up with snow around him. And he's stopping on his journey just to see how beautiful the world is. But at the end of the poem, he says, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. He's saying, yeah, as we go through life, sometimes we have to stop. We have to stop and see how beautiful it is to be alive. But don't forget what life is really about. It's not so that we live in comfort. It's not that we sit in a jacuzzi in Hakuna Matata world or Hawaii. We have promises to keep and miles to go before we sleep. We've got to get back to life. We want to build our relationships. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep working at it. We want to build ourselves as human beings. We've got to keep going. Been the most impactful poem of my life. Yeah. If you had to tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? <clears throat> invest in Pixar. <laughs> that's not a that's good advice. Just invest in Pixar, dude. I remember the day that someone said, You want to invest in two story story had just come out, it was right almost gonna come out. And I'm like, nah, I'm okay. Idiot. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's what I would have told myself. I was expecting like I was expecting the most like uh like wisdom filled, <laughs> like yeah, like Everybody like all the no. no, he's been doing that for the first like the invest first hour in Pixar. Okay. And, by, and by the way, maybe right now people would be like, invest in Apple. Like even now, maybe we I didn't mean, miss the boat. Invest in Apple. I don't think you ever missed the boat. Yeah, you just got to keep your eyes open. Right. Yeah. Um, last question: What does success mean to you? <sighs> success means to me only one thing. I don't have to think about it. Um, it, it's something I think about every moment of the day, and I have true clarity on this. This isn't, this isn't something that I'm, I'm uh, questioning in my head. Maybe it's that, no, I have complete clarity. Success is only one thing. It's am I becoming a better person? That's it. It doesn't matter how many zeros are on your bank account if you don't have sensitivity to a person that you walk by on the street. If someone serves you food in a restaurant, and you don't take a moment to empathize for the amount of tables that he or she has, and you're just focused on filling your face with food, then you're not alive. You see, we don't live to eat. We eat to live. The clarity that I have for my life is that I, I try to work on myself to become a better human being. That's it. And each one of us should make a list of our negative character attributes. We all have them. Nobody's perfect. That's what it means to be alive. You know what life is about? Only one thing. Try to take that list and make it smaller. Try to grow as a human being. If you're a giver, be a bigger giver. If you're a humble person, become more humble. If you have a touch of arrogance, make that attribute less. Just try to work on ourselves as a human being. That's what life is about, period. That's success. And anything less, it doesn't matter. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. 
each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. 
They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 